Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. And today we have a fantastic show. It was so good with Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And she's going to be talking about how to help your child clean up their mental mess because there is an epidemic of childhood suicide. Uh, childhood suicide rates are higher than adults right now. And there's children as young as four years old committing suicide. And it's just because they just, they are not being taught how to manage their emotions, what their emotions mean, that negative emotions will not last forever. And uh, Dr. Carolyn gave a, a great analogy how kids are flying a plane, but they're not being told how to land it, how to navigate it, fly it and land it. And so, you know, we as parents really need to uh, teach our children about their emotions and and how to how to navigate those and 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 really how to how to feel better, you know, in our world of social media and you know not all the negative emotions and depression and self loathing that that can incite in us. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. And this is a fantastic show. You got to listen to it. We talk about so many amazing things and, and how to, um, the thing called the neurocycle and how to help children walk through that process of negative feelings and how to resolve them. Just really good show. And I know you guys listening, uh, you know, a lot of people struggle with mental health issues. A lot of people struggle with, uh, negative feelings and that can produce, actually physical health issues that can cause cancers and autoimmune issues and just you name it. Mental health issues, emotional trauma contributes to 65% or more of physical health issues. So it's something that needs to be addressed. And I created a great masterclass you can check out at emo-detox.com. And it's all about how emotional trauma leads to physical health issues and how to successfully address emotional trauma in really, really interesting, easy, simple ways. And so I'm all about doing things that are easy and simple. I mean, who, you know, we don't, uh, you know, there's only so much time in the day. So I'm just like you, I want to do easy, simple things. And I want to get to the root cause of my health issues so I can feel good. And so, uh, so go check out this masterclass. It's definitely worth your time. Emo-detox.com. So our guest today, Dr. Carolyn Leaf, she is a communication pathologist, audiologist, and clinical and cognitive neuroscientist, specializing in psychoneurobiology and metacognitive neuropsychology. And so her passion is to help people see the power of the mind to change the brain, control chaotic thinking, and find mental peace. Since the early 1980s, Dr. Leaf has researched the, the mind-brain connection, the nature of mental health, and the formation of memory. And as a highly sought after expert on mental health, she's the host of the top rated podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. And uh, Dr. Leaf is also the author of several best-selling books, including Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Switch on Your Brain, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, The Perfect You, Think, Learn, Succeed, and many more. She has a master's and PhD in communication pathology and a BSc in logopedics. And Dr. Leaf does ongoing research and clinical trials in psychoneurobiology in order to improve mental health interventions. You can learn more about Dr. Leaf and her work at drleaf.com. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, thank you so much for joining the show. Thank you, Wendy. I'm looking forward to chatting. 
Yeah. So, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the, the current state of, of depression, anxiety, and mental health issues in children? Because I have to say, I'm very worried for this generation on social media and on their phones constantly and just the, the health implications for that. So what's going on in your opinion? Well, there's a lot going on. First of all, we have to look at why we're sitting with the worst statistics ever in the kind of history of mankind of children being so unhappy. I mean, just short, just recent research and statistics just from a few years back showed that it was always the adults that were depressed and the kids that were happy. And now that's completely reversed. Children are more depressed and more anxious and more suicide, a higher suicide rate than adults. So we have to look at what we have done as adults. And this has been my field for nearly 40, 40 years now. And if I track back to when I first started in the field and I was first doing my training in, back in the 80s, we looked at the whole person. And we looked at the whole person in terms of their context. We didn't just whip out a diagnosis in 15 minutes and you know, label and medicate. It was very much around who is the child, what is what's the child going through, the adult child, whatever. What are they going through? Multiple sessions of interacting with teams of people like teachers and, you know, really getting the child's story. And that obviously takes a lot of time, but it worked. And it meant um, you, it meant that you taught a child to be resilient and that kind of stuff. And, you know, life is full of challenges and it's never going to go away. So we have to teach our kids how to actually live with that. And then fast forward to where we are now, we had a big shift around the 50s, which um, and to fast forward to now, um, especially the last 40 years, we shifted from that more holistic approach, more human approach into one of, lay, of a biomedical model. And that biomedical model looks at symptoms and attempts to eliminate the symptoms and makes diagnoses, assuming there's an underlying biological cause. And that works really well for diabetes and cancer and immune deficiencies and you know, things that go wrong in our, in our physical brain and body. But it doesn't work when it comes to issues of being a human alive in this world and impacted by life. So when you shift your philosophy so massively from looking at a human in the context of their life and us being impacted by our environment and nurturing and parents' baggage and all the rest of it, and you shift it over and ignore all of that or kind of pay attention but don't really consider that the main thing, and you just focus on symptoms in a medical way, you're going to miss the plot. And that's what we've done. We've, we've got a generation of kids growing up now that as soon as they feel any level of anxiety or worry or any kind of emotion that's not a happy emotion, then something's wrong with them. And, you know, we, we parents have literally been trained. We've been, media has indoctrinated us. The psychiatric models indoctrinated us, indoctrinated us with this, this thing that we, we mustn't be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's, that's wrong. And so what that's done is taken a, a huge part of our humanity away from us as adults and also away from our children, that they don't know how to process the emotions. And a child who's two or three or five or seven or 10, if they have something going on in their life, they don't have the words always to be able to express and explain in, a, in, a, in an adult way, obviously not. So it will come out in you know behavioral changes and that sort of thing. And you know, in the past, we would look at why, why the behavioral changes, why the pattern changes, now it's immediately off to the doctor or the teacher calls you in and your child's this and it's immediately a label and multiple labels and you know multiple medications and, and this is creating a situation where the medications, number one, change the brain. They're not safe for children. They're not safe for adults. They're alone for drugs, the, the, the psychotropic drugs. Um, and the, if you long-term use of those or early use of those, 
increases the chance of a child having more and more issues. So if you put a child, for example, on Ritalin at the age of two, which they're doing in some cases, and sometimes an antidepressant that young, by the time that child's eight, there's a lot of brain damage from just those medications. And then you, at the t- on top of that, you're not helping them process and express themselves. You have a disaster waiting to happen. So, you know, we have to look at that. And yes, of course, social media, we live in a changing world. Um, social media has changed us. The internet's changed us. But when it's not, the telephone changed us. Radio, TV, every century things change us. And yes, the speed and everything is is going up. So it's not, that's not going to, that AI, these things are not going away. We're going to have, con- in 20, 30, 40 years time, our grandkids will look back and say, gosh, the internet, that old thing, you know, it's, it's going to happen. So we've got to stop thinking that our generation's facing something unique. Every generation faces something unique. The difference between this generation and previous generations, and I'm not saying that previous generations were better, they had a lot of issues too, but what has changed is how we as humans deal with ourselves as humans and help our kids as humans, so mind management. So that's a massive part. We can teach our kids to manage social media, AI, all these things, but we've got to teach them how to manage that, and we're not doing that. Yeah, I mean, my one of my biggest concerns. I mean, after the you know the the phones, growing up on the phones, and maybe brain damage or or eye damage that can cause is the medications, and and children having brain damage or uh, receptor damage for their neurotransmitters or inability to produce certain neurotransmitters, feel good neurotransmitters where they have to continue taking these, these medications. When I was 13, I was having depression and some other issues and the every, every 13 year old has, uh, for, you know, for the most part. And, and the doctors wanted to put me on an antidepressant and I refused. And they asked me, well, why don't you want to go? And I'm like, I just, I don't think that I need it. And I'm concerned about the, uh, and I, I stood up for myself and advocated for myself. And I just said, I just don't feel like I need that. And I just want to see, you know, address this without a medication for right now. And luckily that was respected. Um, but I, I had concerns even at that age about, um, how that would change my brain. And so can you talk a little bit about how these, the, you know, the Ritalin, which frightens me to give that to a child or the, the SSRIs that are being given, how is that affecting kids' brains and causing permanent brain damage? Well, first of all, kudos to you, well done to you for standing up and for your parents or your caregivers, you know, it's backing you and supporting you in that way, because there's so many children that don't know how to advocate for themselves like you did. And parents don't know how to advocate because they are told by the doctors and the teachers that if you, in some cases, if you don't give your child Ritalin, take the child out to school. You know, so parents are being put in a really, really difficult place. And, you know, we we've, uh, see the cycle has really started coming around full cycle because parents have kind of reached the point where they're saying what you're saying, Wendy. And I mean, you're into detoxing and heavy metal detoxes. And that's one of the things that are in these meds is there are heavy metals in these in a lot of these medications, what they mix them with. So that's one aspect of this whole thing. But the other side is that these do change the way that your brain, your brain adapts. Your brain is always changing. This conversation is changing your brain in a good way. But whatever you put in your brain, whatever you think about, whatever you physically put in your mouth, whatever you physically put on your body is changing your your brain and changing your body. So when we put something in that is quite um, psychoactive, like a psychotropic, which are your Ritalins, your your stimulants, your antidepressants, your antipsychotics, and your um, and your uh, what have I left out? The anti anxiety meds. Those are changing the brain. 
And over time, when they and they gen, generally use chronically, which means ongoing, instead of acutely, which means in a one-off or you know two-off situation, you know, like a short time period. And that over time is changing the way that the, as you mentioned, the receptors that are between the neurons that receive the, they're like little doorways that receive the chemicals. And what they do is they start um, getting less because there's an, you are putting, you're flooding the the, the synapse with all these different false chemicals these that, that aren't real. And it's very confusing. So that to protect itself, there's an adaptation that's made. But those adaptations aren't healthy because now you've disrupted the homeostasis. Not only have you disrupted the serotonin, you've disrupted dopamine, you've disrupted anandamide, you've disrupted disrupted structures, you've disrupted, disrupted electrochemistry, genetics. Nothing is separated. So there's a total you know, body-wide effect of these medications. Also, the, they, they, they're, a mis, they're misnamed. They, an antibiotic is what it says it is. It's anti the, uh, the 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 biological factor that's challenging our brain and our, or our body. So when someone has a bacterial infection, an antibiotic is anti that bacteria. So when we say antidepressant, it sounds like oh that antidepressant's anti the depressant. So they shouldn't be called those anyway. And a lot of the doctors in this field that really are experts that um, that I know well and the colleagues of mine, that they, they'll talk about, we shouldn't be talking about antidepressants. We should be talking about people taking pills to make their mood change or mood changes or something like that because what they're really doing is flattening emotions. So there's changes in the synapse then it, that's just one part, but there's whole structural changes that happen inside the brain. And each part of the brain is, is responding to the mind in different ways. And it changes how they respond. And over time, this just gets more and more difficult. And this is why very often a child who's put on Ritalin will start then showing side effects of depression and they get put on an antidepressant. And then that combination of of an anti of a SSRI and a something like Ritalin can lead to psychotic type symptoms. So by the time they're sort of in their fifteens, we start seeing you know levels of psychosis, which could be combination of the medication plus life trauma. Um, and then by the time they're in their twenties, we start seeing some major stuff changing. Now that's not every child that's going to go through that, but there's enough for us to know that there's a problem. And that we need to change that. So yeah, fortunately, because of the neuroplasticity of the brain, and because of the fact that the brain is not the mind, the mind changes the brain. When we manage our mind, we can actually take advantage of neuroplasticity, and we can bring healing to the brain through mind, through diet, exercise, etc. But the mind is the main thing that actually changes the brain. Yes, absolutely. And we know there's so much research now that shows that your thoughts change your physical, your physical outcomes in your body and, you know, make changes. Um, and so let's talk about the, the suicide rate. So you mentioned that children are having higher suicide rates than adults. And, and that just really kind of struck something because, you know, when I was 13, I actually tried to commit suicide and, uh, you know, it's something I've never publicly said out there, but, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, so many children being subjected to social media, I mean, and I, I get addicted to social media too. I'm just, I get on it. I'm going to do 10 minutes and two hours later, I'm like, what in the heck is going on here. It's so addicting and, and produces so much dopamine. And so really hits those reward centers and it's hard for adults to control. And, and, and I find myself feeling bad, really bad about myself and my body and, and whatnot, you yeah. know, after going on social media, I can't imagine as I know myself as a 13 year old, 
in that deep, dark place and you don't see a light out of that, what can parents do to teach children to kind of ride out that storm when they're and and prevent uh, suicides? Because a lot of parents and people wake up and they had no idea or at, in the wake of a death of a child had no idea that that child was at risk for suicide. And that's what's so scary about suicide is it's very often the children that, you know, you may know that they're a little sad, but they they seem to have it together. And those are the ones that, you know, as you say, it takes you by surprise. And it's never, I mean, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. Kids as young as four are committing suicide in this country. So if that is, if that is the case, then, you know, four and eight-year-olds, you can't even think about what does that even mean? Okay, let's talk about what happens to the brain when you look at social media. Anything that you are, as I mentioned already, your brain's always changing. So what can, the first thing that parents can do to help with this, the battle with suicide specifically or depression, anxiety, all these things is to understand that um, how the brain actually responds to something like social media. Now, it's um, a young brain is obviously different to an older brain. And you, you said it yourself, if you battled, as if we as adults battle, what is a child who hasn't got all of their brain, it's not even mature yet, it's still growing and changing. Your brain grows your whole entire life, but there's certain structures that have to mature and so on and certain chemicals and so on. So when you consistently look at something, you wire what you're looking at with your mind, because you're looking at it with your mind, you're observing this, reading the social media, it's, your mind takes that visual input, the electromagnetic um, light waves and the auditory sound waves and everything that's all the stimulation, all that physics stuff. And your mind, you, which is your ability to think, feel and choose, you take that and you put that in your brain. And then your brain responds on an electromagnetic, neurochemical, and genetic level. Now, the genetic means it's going to make a change. So it gets literally as your gene, as a gene, as your as the energy of the information in your brain literally collapses like waves, it comes in like waves, then you get a genetic response. And the genetic response basically makes a protein that captures what you're looking at on social media as like a vibration. And then the multiple, in, as you're looking over, you know, in 10 minutes, you've looked at a lot of stuff. When two hours, you've looked at a lot of stuff, and each of those things that you've looked at have been captured as little vibrations inside proteins, and have been have grown into little trees that are thoughts. So you've wired a thought network that looks like a tree. That's why I call them thought trees um, into your brain. So now you do this today, you do it tomorrow, you do it. By the time you've done this for around about sixty-three days, which is nine weeks, which is very easy to do. Nine weeks passes by just like that. You have wired in a habit it takes 90 around 63 66 days around nine build a habit into the brain but the brain is changing from day one through day 63 and if if there's no management of how you are perceiving things in that moment body image um identity whatever it is that you're getting absorbed into the comparison, the FOMO, the fear of other people's perceptions, FOPO, all these words that we have, if that's not managed, that's being wired into that tree. So imagine that tree growing to be this wiry, toxic, ugly-looking tree, very much alive, but it's all the, the proteins are distorted. So when you look at something that affects your body image, like you gave that example, and you don't feel good about yourself, your body image, that information is a vibration but it's not a nice vibration it's a horrible vibration so it distorts the protein so we have distorted networks in our brain that become established networks 
And that then, if you, there's another nine weeks goes by and whatever you think about the most is growing. So if you don't intervene and get understanding of what this is doing to us and know how to read the signals of how that distorted network in the brain is affecting how we show up in life, then that's going to feed back in and eventually multiple trees are forming and with no way to manage the, all the toxic energy that's been coming out of that, which a child has, they can explode with major behavioral issues, which then get medicated and the medications. We know that the, the depression pulls, those will increase chance of suicide, but I think it's somewhere between 60% plus. So here you've already got a child who is identity is shot and they are absorbed and just consumed with this toxicity and looking for likes on Instagram. And I don't have, this one had 900 likes. I only got three likes. And, you know, my life compared to that life and constantly consumed with that. You have, you are driven by these toxic trees and that your immune system responds and sees that as a threat in the same way it would see something like a, a virus in your body. Your, your, your immune system of your brain does not distinguish between a psychological and a physical um, threat. It's a threat. So your immune system starts playing up. Inflammation increases, creates brain fog, concentration problems, attention problems, etc. And then that you know that immediately affects your body because the mind is embodied, mind into brain into body. On top of that, it, if there's not enough exercise because they're not getting outside, they're not getting oxygen, they're not moving, they're not playing, they're not interacting with the same age age group it's so important for them to have that that's how they're forming they're not getting enough of that they're withdrawing everything becomes distorted now all of that said if what i when i talk about mind management what can we do as parents so so i explain that whole picture when you tell this to a child now i've worked with kids as young as three two and three and this is why i've written this book cleaning how to help your child connect their mental mess this first one is actually for two to ten year olds and um, it's coming out in August. And then I have the, the other one that came out about a year and a half ago. This you can give to an adolescent to adults. And it's essentially how can I recognize? How can I learn to manage this? How can I learn to deal with these emotions? And how can I learn to recognize when I'm being affected? And what can I do once I've recognized it? Because it's one thing to recognize it and to talk about your be aware and all that stuff. But if you don't know what to do with what you're aware of, you're going to get worse as well. You know, so it's not enough just to say, how do you feel? And, you know, which is happening a lot at schools, which is great. They're talking about mindfulness and having feelings and, and then even maybe some CBT techniques where you have a technique to, to that's a bad thought. This is a good thought. Let's now train the bad thought away. You, you can't get rid of what's happened. You can't get rid of that image of that other person's body but what you can do is you can change what it looks like in your brain and you can change how it influences your future so we have to empower our children and ourselves and children as young as two and three respond to this this message of the brain so what i found a really easy way to get through to kids is to never treat them like they're dumb they are brilliant kids have a way more insight we know from the research that's coming out now in these in this time period that we have misunderstood how much kids actually do understand. They may not have the words, but they are processing nonverbal communication better than an adult. They read your tone, body language, eye contact. They read that so well. They also understand when something's wrong. But if they, they don't know what to do with that. So our role as adults is to actually sit down with them and tell them, you know, this is what's happening in your brain. This is your mind. This is your brain. These, this is what, what grows in your brain. When you're looking at that stuff on, on social media, when you're going on internet, you're reading all that stuff, 
AI is commodifying your your what you're looking at. It's basically mimicking you, looking at what you're looking at. There's all these calculations and people are watching you, what you are reading and what you are watching and what you are, and they are basically feeding back to you with calculations. It's not a real person inside that machine. It is people outside that computer that are actually watching you and using you to make money, to see, to feed more stuff back to you. And this is what it's doing in your brain. That conversation is a very, very successful conversation with kids. They love it. Um, I have brain pictures for older kids here. And in this book, what we've done is we've created a bunch. We've, I've created a character called Brainy. This is the little Brainy toy. Um, and there's, this Brainy is throughout the book. So Brainy is basically a superhero that walks the mental health journey with you. You can teach kids incredibly complex concepts when you've got something as simple as a Brainy toy or something like that, a, a cartoon character. You can teach them really how to recognize, okay, my brain is feeling like this. My body's feeling like this. My, you know, my my emotions are feeling like this, and you can teach them the language. So to answer your question, it's important for a parent to understand how your brain works for yourself, how to, and then to teach your kids how this is working, and then to do this together, to teach their mind management. What we have done in this last forty years is pathologized childhood, we pathologized adolescence. And we should not be doing that because adolescence is tough and they do need to cry and they do need to be sad and they do need to be happy. And depression is not a bad thing. It's even depression is, is understood. It's an emotional signal. Anxiety and depression are if you teach a child that these are not bad, they're telling you something. You then keep depression working for you. If you don't, it tips into the zone where it works against you. And this is stuff kids can learn. And, you know, this is really why I wrote this book now for these kids. I've got my own four children that are now adults. They've grown up with this stuff that I've worked with hundreds of kids over the years, thousands through of my, my practices and people that work for me. So we've, and I've done a lot of clinical trials. So I know that um, when we equip a parent to understand how their brain works and how they can learn to manage their mind, then you try and teach a child that you have built a great platform for relationship building and a great way for you and your child to actually work out um, and, and deal with those emotions. So I don't know if you want to ask me more specific stuff, but that's sort of where I would start with getting to understand and help our children. Yes. Well, what are some of the warning signals you can teach children that that something's going on, maybe something going is going wrong with their mind, or they're having you know negative emotions, and and how to kind of recognize those and, and deal with them more effectively and healthily. Absolutely. So what we see is that the brain, um, the mind-brain-body connection, mind-brain-body, because a mind, which is all around us and through us, it makes us be alive, it makes our heart beat, it makes the brain work, that's our mind. And on a physical level and on a psychological level, our mind is our ability to think and feel and choose, okay? So our mind takes that, puts it in the brain and body, the body responds by building it into the network and then we show up. How do we show up? These are these four signals. We show up with our feelings, we show up with our emotions. We show up with our behaviors, what we say and what we do. We show up with how that all feels in our body. And then we show up with our perspectives. So let's say a child comes home from school and they are, like you can see, they're totally flat, really withdrawn. And, and they're withdrawn. They're not so emotion. You can see that they seem very, they seem very maybe depressed or flat or just like withdrawn. Um, behavior, they're not talking. They just go to their room. Um, they're not making, they're not connecting. They don't want to eat. Uh, that would be um, behaviors. When I mean, they do speak, it's monotone, it's monosyllabic. Then maybe they say, hey, they've got such a headache and they have a headache tablet. 
body. And then perspective, they just, like you can see that they're just looking totally negative. So those would be four signals that they've shown up. So these four main signals, and those are emotions, behaviors, bodily sensations, and perspectives. So that's easy to remember, four things. We all show, every human shows up like that all day long, four categories of signals. And each of those you can, and emotions, depression, anxiety, frustration, jealousy, envy, all of them, happy, sad, whatever, all of those go under there. Behaviors, what we say, what we do, how we say it, how we do it. And bodily sensation, whatever you're feeling in your body, because everything gets stored in the brain and the body, in the brain in one way, and in the body it, it goes into our cells, it's slightly different, it's controlled by the brain, and in our mind we even store what we're experiencing as gravitational fields. So the, all of that collectively shows up in these four signals. So what we can do with our kids is we can say, hey, I am... Um, and you can either, depending on the age, you can either model it for them, you can ask them, you can say, hey, I see that you aren't feeling great, that you're really quiet, that you, so you, you can just go through the force. So I see you aren't feeling great, that you don't really want to talk, you're just speaking in monosyllables, monosyllables um, that you're, you know, you're asking, you've got a headache, and you, know, you seem really sad today, there's your four signals. So you can make a statement to them, or you could ask that as questions. In that, in those four, with the four signals, you can teach these kids the four signals first and say, hey, listen, there's a way that we can manage our emotions and no emotions are bad, no matter what you're feeling. I know that when you show up in X, X way, I know that that's not who you are. I know that you are you, you're coming home from school or you're coming home from your friend or you're coming out of your room after being on social media in this way that's not you. Some You like this because of. So let me help you. Let's sit together and do this. And so I've developed this concept called the NeuroCycle that's had 38 years of research. It's got a foundational theory. It's got a lot of clinical trials and we still do clinical trials. That's what's in this book and in the other book and I have an app. And Brain is the superhero who basically, if it's a young child, two to ten, walks you through the neurocycle. So the neurocycle starts with helping a child gather awareness of the four signals. So you teach a child that trees look at the, the experience at school because everything grows as thought trees inside of our brain. And those thought trees can be good and bad and they can make you feel like this. They can make you do and make you do things. They make you your body sore and they make you look at life in um, in a bad way or in a good way. So kids can learn that from, and I've got all the languaging, obviously age appropriate for like a two-year-old versus a six-year-old, for example. It's all, I put that in the book. So you first want to, to tell the children, let's do a neurocycle. Let's sit together and and do this thing because it makes our brain work properly. It helps us to fix our brain. It makes me, it helps us to to take that that energy from that emotion that makes you from that that makes you feel so heavy and so sad or so frustrated that you want to kick everything or so mad that you're breaking things i understand that that's not you but let's take that energy and let's use that energy in in a way to help you and it's so important in this process of doing of going from these signals and working through the neurocycle and i'll explain it very briefly in a moment is to constantly validate the child. Now, I'm not saying if they're kicking their brother or biting their sister or throwing a tantrum and throwing things around the house. Obviously, that behavior needs to be controlled. And it is, look, we don't do that. I understand you're frustrated and you've got you know all this energy inside of you, but let's take that energy and let's maybe first go for a walk. Let's go kick a ball in the garden. You know, get that 
physical, if they're very physical, do something physical that can just decompress them. I give a lot of examples of how to do that. Then say, okay, let's go sit on the on the 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 city or the um let's have a, I often recommend to parents to create a, a mind management corner in your house, a neurocycle corner, a mind corner, whatever you want to call it, where it's beautiful. There's maybe a big chalkboard or a whiteboard because you're going to write and draw. But that's the place where you intentionally and deliberately go. That there's books there, brainies there, toys are there, building blocks are there, pens are there, whatever. So it's it's a place. My sister-in-law painted one whole part of her kitchen with that black chalk, you know, paint. So that and there was a cute little bench with flowers and a little box of toys, and. That's sort of an example of what you can do. Nothing that looks ugly, something that looks beautiful, but it's a point of departure. You go to the kitchen to eat, you go to the bathroom to clean your teeth and have a bath and go to the loo and that's a toilet for the Americans. And you go to the gym to do gym. We, we, we have these places we go to, to do things that we have to do every day. Well, we have to manage our mind every day because our mind drives everything. When you're dead, your mind goes. So when you're alive, your mind's working. So let's be deliberate about managing our mind. You know, that concept isn't a difficult one if you associate it with things like that. So maybe your child comes home from school, you go sit on wherever your little neurocycle corner is. If you haven't got one, just sit somewhere nice and comfortable or maybe do you know do that, whatever you need to do to decompress them first, kick the ball, breathe, whatever. And then you say, okay, let's let's talk about the four signals. Let, let, do you want me to give you a sentence or can you give me the sentence? Can I ask you the questions? And I've got all these in the book. I've got charts and examples of how you can do this. And then once you've done the se sequentially going through each feeling, Think of those as signals as balloons and they're balloons that have got strings attached. And then all those strings are attached to a thought. And as you come in the house, you don't know what the thought is that the child's gone through. And the thought is the, is the encapsulation of the experience, whatever they've gone through. So experience built into the brain as a thought. So it's this wired thing that's wired in your brain. By identifying the signals, you pull the thought into the conscious mind. As soon as you are aware of, oh, this is, coming from something that's happened at school, then we know from neuroscience that as soon as you are aware, then the protein bonds that are holding that horrible vibration in those protein ugly tree weaken. The branches become very unstable, which means that you can change them. So your deliberate intentional going through each of those four signals with your child has helped to change the brain and the kids love this. They respond very, very well to this. Adolescents, you just use slightly more mature language. But I mean, it's helpful to my adult patients that did this with any, any age. It's just nice to know if I do that, this is what's happening in my brain. I'm actually weakening, weakening the bonds or the branches of the tree. So then you say, okay, well, now let's look at the top of the tree, which is why this is happening, how it's happening. In other words, what are you saying to yourself? What are your, So now you take the four signals and you make bigger sentences four bigger sentences, and each of those sentences will be, okay, you're feeling mad. Why do you think you're feeling mad? Are you feeling anything else? I'm feeling mad because I'm just mad. I'm I'm angry. I'm frustrated because um, this something happened at school. Okay, great. Well, you're using, you're moving your arms around and you're kicking the ball as you're telling me this. That's good. Um, then, and, you know, you don't want to eat. So those behaviors, so I understand that. So something happened at school. You know, are you feeling anything in your body right now? Yes, my stomach is sore. Why do you think your stomach's sore? Because it was, I was so sad. I was so sad. They made me feel bad about myself. You, so in other words, the second step is reflect. Let's reflect on the four signals. Let's go through each of those four signals and see what, if we can start seeing what happened. 
Sometimes you will, they will be able to say, I was teased at school at that point. Sometimes they'll just say, I'm mad um, because I'm mad. I'm mad because I'm very sad. I'm mad because I'm frustrated. So they just add another like emotion or they add another sensation. And then you can you could ask questions like, how, when did this happen? Or So it's who, what, when, where, why, how. You start asking those questions at the second level around those four signals. So it's very sequential. Your brain responds to order, getting chaos into order. And the way we do that is to drive a very organized flow of energy through the brain, which is what we're doing by these four steps. If you just talk about everything all at once, it's a big mess, mixy mess up. Then what you do is you grab, say, okay, let's start writing this down. And you either write it on the chalkboard or you take a piece of big piece of paper out and different color pens, or however you want to do it, and just start writing down. And then you just put down everything that comes up. Let's write everything that comes up. And that's when you start de diving deep into the non-conscious. You start getting to the root of the issue. You'll start seeing what happened. And then you stop and you say, you go to step four, which is recheck. You look back, okay, let's see, you wrote this and you drew this picture and you did that. If it's a young child and they can't write, they'll maybe make a few scribbles. They can use a toy. You can get, oh, Brainy sad today. Show me what Brainy did. So you can enact. Um, and then you can talk about what you've enacted. So it's very sequential. It's very, and then you reconceptualize, which is step four. This has happened. So you got teased at school. What did you do? How did that make, you know, that made you feel like this? What are we going to do about that? How can we, so you got teased at school and they teased you because you couldn't do your math at school and they laughed at you. And then at break time, they called you stupid and that made you very sad. And, and this is what will come out in these previous four steps. So now you've got the detail of what happened. Okay, this is what happened. What can we do about it? Let's see what we can, how can we help you? Can I help you learn that math? So when you go to school tomorrow, you know how to do the math. We can ask your teacher for extra lessons. Children do tease, so let's see how we can make you resilient. You're not going to use those words for the two-year-old, but we, how can we put on some in some nice, strong superhero cloak around Brainy so that if they tease you tomorrow, which they may, you can't protect your child and put them in bubble wrap. It's going to happen. What can you do to protect your child in case it does happen tomorrow? You can get your child to something like, imagine you've got a big cloak around you and it's this magic cloak like a Harry Potter and you put it around you and you're invisible. You could just, when they're teasing you, just imagine you're invisible or whatever. Something like that where you create, give them something that they can do that helps them to protect themselves and develop their resilience. So they practice that with you. And then the first step is the is, is pretty much you practicing, deciding what you're going to do and then actually practicing that three or four times. And so, okay, here's Brainy, here's another toy. And this one's teasing that one. Now, what is Brainy going to do? And you actually practice that. So that's a young child. If it's an adolescent, you talk about that. What could you say? What could you say that would make you comfortable? There's something that they'll be able to do that they can then practice doing. And, and that will be your act of reach. And that cycle took quite long to explain because the first time I'm explaining it to you and the first time you teach your kids this, it'll take you long. But you can eventually get to the point where you can do this in a few minutes, you can be in the car and your child's really upset, do a neurocycle. You could see that there's a pattern in your child's life and notice that there's something that they are consistently doing. Then what you could do is say, okay, let's sit down every day for the next few weeks and let's work through this pattern. Because if there's a pattern that's consistent, that's disrupting sleep behavior, that's more extreme than just a little tantrum coming home from school, but seems to have disrupted their, their life, that they seem to be going down a black hole. Um, that then you would do the neurocycle for around about 5, 10, 15 minutes every day. And you'll start seeing chain, more and more insight. And it's very important you record this. And this can actually give you an indication maybe there's some level of trauma happening. And that's when you can decide maybe to reach out to a therapist, reach out to the teacher, reach out to whatever. But what you're doing is you're teaching the child 
you know what? It's okay to have emotions. It's okay to feel these things. Bad things happen. What are we going to do about it? And that's what's vital. And then a key component here to help your child is you as a parent should do this. It's very hard being a parent. It's very hard being alive. It's very hard. There's great things, but there's also things that aren't so great. So let your child see you upset. If you come home from work and you've had a bad day and you walk in the door and you yell and this happens and that happens and you you stop and say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I feel like mad. I'm frustrated and I kicked your toys out the way and I, you know, I've got like a, such a, my heart's beating so fast and, you know, today just sucked. Tell them that, age appropriate, you know, just use the words that they can handle and say this and, and just run through it very quickly and say, uh, something happened at work today and this is why I'm like this. And then you could maybe draw some pictures on the board or you could draw a piece of paper and, and write a few words and say, I had a, my boss yelled at me or whatever. And um, then you can say, but you know what, I'm at home with you guys now. I'm not going to take this this from my boss. They were very unfair. This is what I'm going to do. And now my action now is I'm going to sit and make dinner with you guys. You've just done a neurocycle and you've modeled and given them permission. Oh, mom also battles. Dad also battles. It's okay to battle. It's okay to, you know, mom and mom, dad and dad, whatever the relationship is, The it, it's okay to battle. But And my mom could say that. My dad could say that. Um, and work through, the, you're showing them it's okay to have emotions, but I don't just stay there. I work through the process and that teaches a child resilience. Every time you do that, you unmask a layer of resilience. So tomorrow when something else happens, it's unanticipated because of what you did today and yesterday, you're, you're that much more resilient. Yes, it's a new situation, but your resilience enables you to handle that more efficiently, to have more wisdom activated inside of you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it's so important to lead your children emotionally and teach them because they just, especially today, I think there's so much working against children's mental health. And I think parents are, you know, there's an epidemic of neglect happening where kids can just leave their, you know, parents can just leave their kids in front of the iPad or Netflix and, and, and do what they feel like doing, you know, and we've all been there. Um, but I think, you know, parents really need to be very mindful of teaching kids about their emotions and, and being mindful and not neglecting their children, um, so that we create a, a healthier, happier generation, you know, Absolutely. it's so true. Sorry to interrupt you there, but Wendy, what's so important is not just to be aware of our emotions. Emotions go with behaviors. We must always remember that your emotions are never alone. When we talk about emotions, we must talk about behaviors. We must talk about bodily sensations. We must talk about the, the perspectives and we must then process through. Otherwise, what we do is we teach the kids to take to teach them to let the plane take off. But then if you don't fly the plane and land the plane, teach them how to fly the plane and land the plane, the plane will crash. So what we're seeing a lot of is, yes, let's talk about, oh, you're feeling like this, but if you leave it there, the kid will crash. You have to say, okay, well, why do you feel that? What are you going to do about it? You've got to, where did this come from? How are we going to deconstruct and reconstruct this? So you're teaching them to embrace, process, and reconceptualize, not just be mindful. And that's critical because there's a lot of mindfulness out there. These kids are getting all kinds of mindfulness awareness training everywhere. Um, but it's what you do after. You've got to go beyond that to, to get a child to feel empowered, to be able to manage. And you're quite right. This is a job that us parents have to do. We have to and teachers and you know teachers are doing their best and parents are doing their best but there's so much pressure but it doesn't mean we can just leave our kids you don't have to take them off social media you've got to teach them how to manage social media so if they're looking at that social media and they're feeling bad about themselves they need it we've created a space as parents they can then come to you and say 
so bad about how I look. And then you can say, okay, let's talk about this and go through the four signals. And then why? Because I looked at that, show me what you looked at, what you're comfortable to show me. I looked at those. And then you can give them a realistic analysis in the recheck four step of, okay, is this really real? Isn't this maybe edited? Is this, do, does everyone look like that? You know, so you can give a child, it, it allows for deep, meaningful discussion between you and the child, an opportunity to teach, an opportunity for them to ask the questions and for you to answer the questions and ask them the questions. And that doesn't take long, Wendy. It's something that you can bring into your life and you can do that in a car driving to school in 10 minutes while you're making dinner. You know, it's, if you've created that safe space, your kids will find the time and you'll find the time to talk to them. Yes. And, and also I, you know, I t- of course talked to my daughter, but I also decided to put her in therapy just because I think sometimes kids don't want to talk to their parents or there's, you know, there's very sensitive subjects that, um, you know, sex and boyfriends or whatever, uh, they don't want to talk about that with their parents, but they'll just blab away, you know, to, uh, to another adult. So, uh, so I, you know, put my daughter in therapy, even though there's no, there was no kind of reason for it. There was no like horrible event or anything like that, but I just decided to, to do that, just to help her navigate her emotions and relationships at a young age. Yeah. For me, that was pivotal when I was having my, my issues and my parents got me into therapy at a really young age. It just helped so much, you know, so, you know, lots of different options out there. There are are lots of options. The biggest thing is that therapy is so important. The biggest thing, however, in addition to, and I'm all for therapy, but you can't be with your therapist 24-7. You have to teach your child. They wake up with themselves at three in the morning and are having a panic attack. They're at school being teased. They're sitting there on their phone on social media. Or they're getting, there's a text group going on and they've been excluded. You can't have the therapist there every moment. So we have to teach our kids, empower our kids to manage their mind. So mind management is critical. Show us your book again and uh, tell us where we can get it. Tell us what your website is. So it's called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess. And it's exactly how to do the neurocycle. There's many different scenarios. Like you start cover social media, trauma, social interactions, identity, all that kind of stuff. It's available wherever books are sold on pre-order at the moment. And yeah, and my Instagram is Dr. Caroline Leaf, website, drleaf.com. And Brainy is a brainy toy. There's also a coloring book. So with the younger kids, they can color in and there's a blank page. So Brainy goes through all these different scenarios and whatever. Once kids have got tools, they can tell their story. Okay, great. So drleaf.com, very easy to remember. And so Dr. Leaf, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was fantastic. And you know, I wanted to do a show like this, which is why I wanted to have you on um, because we do, we have, we have a generation of kids that are hurting, they're in trouble and they need our guidance. So thanks for coming on and lighting the way. Thank you. I appreciate it. Nice to meet you. Yes. And everyone, I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. And thank you so much for tuning in every year and every week. Uh, We're coming up on the 500th episode. Can't believe I've been doing this for almost 10 years and many, many more years. I'm going to be doing this and bringing you experts from around the world about how to, you know, use alternative ways to address your health, looking at detoxification, looking at bioenergetics, looking at emotional trauma and things you're not getting, uh, answers you're not getting at your conventional medical doctors to address your health because you deserve to feel good. 
The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.